Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. Uh, this week I am joined by Lee Trank. Lee is the CEO of FaZe Clan, which you might know, but you might not know. And it is one of one of the world's largest or the uh, I would say largest. the world's largest. Okay. We'll 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 drill down on that. But it's the world's largest esports organization. Something like uh, you've got six esports teams and you got two hundred plus million social followers yep. and do over five hundred million views a month on YouTube. Um, yeah, right. across across all the all the platforms. Okay, so I'm I, I've already confessed to you before this. I'm not a gamer, so walk me along through this. Explain to those who do not know what Phase Clan is. So these are big numbers. Yeah, they're 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 big numbers. I mean, we you know the the numbers we pull are kind of the size of a cable network, uh, as far as the the monthly the monthly viewers we've we've got. Um, so there's there's really two parts of of what we are. There's the competitive side, right? The professional video game playing. Those are the six uh, games that we compete in. Um, and those are pro players. Each each game, each team um, has different players um, that specialize in those games. Okay, like uh, Call of Duty. You got right. a team. That's right. There's a there's call there's Call of Duty. We've got so the the six are Call of Duty, uh, Fortnite, FIFA, uh, Rainbow Six, PUBG, and um, Counter Strike. Okay, no Donkey Kong. No Donkey Kong. That's okay. more of like just <laughs> no. You know. That's me. Uh, okay, so they. I mean, they operate like a, uh, a like a regular sports team. Yeah, they, they train they, they compete, and then they compete. We train. They compete and they compete professionally. They they travel to different tournaments. Um, they compete for prizes, and that's the main part of 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 what they do on a day to day basis. And that yeah. that's that's about half of our Phase Clan members fall into that category, and the other half are, are content creators. Um, that uh, that what they do, they're really entertainers. If you think about it broadly, they and and their medium is different. They're they're and they usually use multi multiple mediums, right? YouTube is maybe one of the dominant ones, but they also stream on platforms like Twitch or platforms mm -hmm. like Mixer. Um, we do content on Snapchat. We do content on Instagram stories, um, even static content on, on Instagram, right? So all, mm -hmm. all of that falls under content. All of that is done to entertain their individual fans and our collective fans. Um, and so give me an example of one of these... Uh, the the creators sure um so uh let's call let's mention phase rug uh one of our okay. biggest guys he's got 13 and a half million subscribers to his youtube channel wow. um he averages somewhere around three million uh views a day on his content and that's that's kind of on a on an ongoing basis that's a great number for a late night show yeah. Just to just to put it in context of how significant the audience is, and he does he does a lot of content that isn't really directly gaming content. Like, and I think and I think that's one of the one of the key things to talk about is not all of this content is directly gaming content. There's a lot of it that we do. There's a lot of gameplay or montages or trick shotting, but a lot of the, a lot of the content that we create is really are things that abut gaming. Uh, and and we can talk. We can go into this a little bit more about gaming mm -hmm. as a lifestyle and right. gaming as entertainment, which is really where the biggest action is in gaming. Um, 
the buzzword is esports, but the 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 most the broad audience is really in gaming rather than esports. And maybe that's mm-hmm. um, maybe that's a, a distinction that's in, it's important to make. Um, and what what I say is, you know, I've but it's spent, a culture. I, I hate the sort of word. I'm use, I'm going to use the air quotes. Well, it it is right. in you know it it's it's certainly a culture. But I I think the first I think that a good distinction to make is gaming versus esports because mm-hmm. a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. Not within gaming, people sure. inside gaming wouldn't wouldn't um, wouldn't use those interchangeably. But a lot of people that are learning about it, right? Esports has been this buzz term for 2019, right? Big buzz, you know, a lot of a lot of interest, a lot of attention. People are figuring out what it is. But a lot of those people are using esports and gaming interchangeably when really esports is a component of gaming. Gaming, when I talk about gaming, and this is really, we as FaZe Clan live in gaming broadly. What we do is a lot of the the non-competitive stuff as well as the competitive stuff. So when you hear about all those huge numbers of audience that people are watching, even this 500 million plus you know, view count, that's not on, those, those are not numbers on the competitive professional side of gaming. Those are the entertainment people that are tuning in just to be entertained. And gaming is sort of what brings everybody together. Gaming is a through line of FaZe Clan, but you know, Rug, which we were talking about, most of the content that he, that he makes really is not about, you know, is not mm-hmm. about games directly. He'll, he'll do like pranks or he'll do, you know, stunts or different things like that. And that, that's where he builds his content. And you don't see gameplay within his content. Yeah, people are not like watching him play Fortnite. Not him in particular. No. We have other people that they watch him, watch them play games. You know, if you tune into Scissors, you know, Phase Scissors on his stream, you're watching him predominantly play Fortnite or Nate Hill. Um, these are guys that are playing Fortnite and mm-hmm. they're commentating while they're doing it, right? So that's another example. But their of, skills are, are kind of, I mean, they're complex complimentary but they're they're different. I mean if you're if you're a professional gamer you're great at Fortnite. You're one of the best in the world. You've, yeah, by definition. Right. Uh, but the others, I mean they're the core is they're be, entertainers. And they've got to be so it's a combination of really good but really good entertainers and personalities. So you've got to be good enough you, being just an entertaining personality and you're a lousy player, you're not going to become very popular. But if you're really good as a player, and you've got a great personality and you're an entertainer, well, that's sort of the secret recipe of building a big audience. And that's where a lot of mm-hmm. our guys fall into. So tell me why the, the entertainer side is not just part, more part of the larger sort of YouTube creator class. Well, I, I would say it, it is. It has a foot in that YouTube creator world. But there's something about gaming content creators or gaming influencers that sort of has more staying power. There's, there's a, a, it seems to be like a, a different reason to, to commit to being a fan of somebody because they, they have a skill set that's admirable. They have a skill set that, that their fans are trying to learn and they're being entertained while they're watching them play the, the game in a, in a great and an exciting way. Okay, so let's talk about the the culture of gaming because I'm sure, and, and I think in in previous interviews that I, I read, you know, there's it seems like there's clear similarities between like say skateboarding or um, you know surfing and and those that sort of grew up those cultures and and they became a lot more, right? That's right. I mean, you 
skateboarding has spawned really think about it. I mean, it's all the whole streetwear. Um, and I know that there are some fashion brands trying to tap into this, but wh- what, what kind of similarities do you see for those of us who are, who are older? Well, it, 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 skateboarding <laughs> is a, is a great example, right? Because you took something that was, you know, you jumped on a board, you skated and you, ter- you, you created a much broader lifestyle because you identified as a skater, right? The, the, it started with kids that identified with them. They identified in their peer group. It was a subculture though. That it it was, yeah, for sure. It was, but, but is that much different than gaming? You know, the the only difference is, is, well, it's, it's not the only, actually the only difference is gaming is much, much, much bigger. Right. And you know, what started as, as something where people said, all right, well, yeah, that's like a hobby, but it became much more than that because it starts with somebody who identifies themselves as that first and foremost, I'm a gamer. You talk to a kid, they consider themselves a gamer and then they do things that fit that lifestyle. And for FaZe Clan, what we are, we, we sort of define what that lifestyle is. What does it mean to be a gamer? right? It, it didn't have an identity probably 10 years ago. There wasn't an identity of a gamer. Even when we were talking about before we started, we were talking about all the games of, you know, in the eighties and nineties, those were games that people played, yes. but nobody identified themselves as a gamer. I but did it, not identify with Donkey Kong. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, and, <laughs> and I don't know if it's a, a factor of the types of games, but I think it's more about the amount of time that people spent and, after a certain amount of time that you spend spend in your daily life, you start to identify with what with with the rest of your peers who also do that. And then when I think about what was the nerve that FaZe Clan struck, you know, I, I think about a couple of things. You know, FaZe Clan is a nine-year-old brand. You know, the 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 kids that started it started it, and they were kids. We're talking about kids in their in their early or mid-teens that started this brand. Um, did, it, wait, were they, did they consciously create a brand? Kids are very precocious. Um, th- no, I don't think that they, consci- <laughs> okay. they consciously created a brand. I think that they were having fun. I think that they were a group of friends that banded together and wanted some identity for themselves first and foremost. And, you know, the way we started is we had these guys that started doing trick shots um, on YouTube. They would record their gameplay. It was Call of Duty for for us is, is mm-hmm. the way we started. And they would play the game with a certain type of flair. It's almost, we, we sometimes compare it to like Dogtown, going back to the skateboarding. Sure. It was like Dogtown, right? There was skateboarding. And then there were these kids that for them, it wasn't just skating in a technical way. It was skating with a certain amount of flair and a style that started to change people's perception. They wore different clothes. They wore flannel and ripped jeans. And, mm-hmm. and it was more about the, the risks that they took and, and, you know, and the, the showmanship that they, that they brought to skateboarding that struck a nerve. And that's the same thing that happened with these guys. So it started with the trick shotting. And they started putting that up on YouTube, started to build a following. And then these were kids, the kids that, that founded it, they met online. They didn't meet in person for, for quite some time. And then they came up with an idea to move to New York and all live in a house together. And then they started putting themselves into the videos and started showing their personalities. And 
I think that part of what resonated is they were kind of the first group that were unapologetic about being gamers, right? This was a, a fairly ghettoized community in some way, right? They, they, you know, gamers were considered nerds in their parents' basement. That was it. That was the concept. Um, you know, that's, that was the identity of a gamer. Oh, they're, they're, you know, they sit in solitude and they play games mm-hmm. and they're not the cool kids. And these guys came and they said, you know what? We're not ashamed of being gamers. We're actually really vocal. We're passionate. We care about it. We do it with flair. And that really resonated with the audience. And that's sort of the birth of what created mm-hmm. this, this massive fan base. But it seems like it's pretty early on with developing that, that, that culture around it. Because, I mean, skateboarding went and then you had, like, Stussy and you had, like, you know, music came in. And where do you think gaming is with that, with all of the the branded elements that come around we're, we're at it. the beginning okay we're at the absolute beginning uh, par- partially because i think we're we're only now starting to have partners available in order to grow this we we were really the the brand that sort of pioneered getting other celebrities involved in our gaming in our gaming work right we have you know and i think that that we we were able to explain who we are um, to the, sort of the uninitiated and people outside of the gaming world by the fact of we associate with these other celebrities like a Juju Smith-Schuster or an Offset or a Lil Yachty. That is, by the way, the first time Lil Yachty has been referenced on the Digiday um, podcast. I'm glad to have, I'm glad to have brought, him, <laughs> brought him here. In our supply uh, path optimization <laughs> discussions, <laughs> Lil Yachty has not come up. But that is an important way to expand it into, because, I mean, it, well, it contextualizes really... who we are. Yeah. For people, like, because, you know, for, for people who are just kind of starting to understand who we are, you know, when you say offset, you go, okay, we, it is a commonly accepted thing that if you are part of one of the biggest rap groups in the world, you're cool, right? Yeah. We're all going to accept that. You know, whether, whether you like the music or not, if you're a marketer or if you're a, a, a partner, you're going to understand that. And so Offset joining, being an actual member of FaZe Clan, what it does is it shatters the, the, the preconceived notions that people outside of gaming have about gaming, right? And it started, what I'll, what I'll point to that really kind of set things in motion was it was last year, maybe the middle of last year sometime, where there was that stream where Drake and Ninja and, and Juju and Travis Scott were playing Fortnite together. Mm-hmm. And they got something like you know, 650,000 people watching them play a video game, which ended up being world news. And I think it stopped everybody in their tracks and said, what am I missing here? Why on earth would Drake play with a gamer why would he do that why would he put his put his name out there in such a way and i think that that was the first part that was the first step in sort of a lot of traditional players rethinking what their view was mm-hmm. about gaming well ninja is i mean he he's like kind of like the first like super breakout like, I, I call him the Neil, the Neil Armstrong of gaming. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, um, but explain what, his importance to, to gaming overall. Well, he's, he's really the, he's the first household name in, yeah. in gaming. I mean, he's as close as we have to a household name. Um, and I think that's what started it. That moment of, 
you know, of playing with, with, you know, with Drake and Juju, um, woke people up to the fact of this is a thing. Like, I think that was it. Like people were looking around going, is that really a thing? Like right. a rapper is going to play with a, a video game star. Like it, it, it just didn't, it. It, but that's right. That, that it's, it's sort of cultural resonance. Culturally significant. Because right? I mean, it's obviously super popular and, um, obviously a lot of people are gamers. Um, but I think finding that like, and that's what the marketers like i mean the marketers like cultural resonance as you know <laughs> that's right and and what i say to a lot of people like when you talk about this fan base and the passion level that they have it's certainly a male it's male dominated at this point and we're, we're certainly working working hard to to bring more females into the tent but if you're talking about a young male in general right i'm painting with a broad brush brush stroke but in general there's nothing a young male cares about more than gaming it's gaming first, and the distant second is mm -hmm. oxygen. Like, that's how, yeah. how serious it is for them. And this isn't something, uh, uh, it's not, quote-unquote, a phase. Um, <laughs> this isn't something that, that people sort of now, this outgrow is not, like I did Donkey Kong. If, if anything, I think they, people go deeper in, yeah. partially because the game developers are creating, they're creating magic. I mean, they're, they're creating... Um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're creating these games that rival from a content and a storyline filmmaking, except you get to participate mm -hmm. and, you know, all you have to look at is the amount of time that is spent on these games dwarfs every, every other way to, to, to spend your time. Maybe, you know, the only thing is if you say, all right, how much time do you spend on the internet? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is a collective of all the things that you might do online, but there's, there's sort of nothing that makes up the, 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 the time commitment that the fans will, sure. will, will spend on gaming. Quick break to hear from our sponsor. So what attracted you to this? I mean, your background, you were in the music industry for yep. a while, right? Yeah, so what did you, What did you see going on, going on here that attracted you, and what was the big opportunity? So, well, you know, about about four years ago, somebody that worked for me, who he happens to be my, my, head, my head of gaming now, showed me an article um, about League of Legends finals. And it was really talking about the, the audience that these finals had. And they, you know, talked about esports, and I, I was floored. I was like, you know, and he and he had made a suggestion. He said, you know, I had a management company. So were the, you a gamer? Um, I was a casual okay. gamer. At, that's it. Okay. Very casual gamer, right? Okay. A, a console Fortnite player. curious. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, you know, but what I thought, you know, he he had made a suggestion of within you know, the management company, maybe we go manage, a, you know, a team. And I thought, if there's something that's this big that I've never heard of, because at that point I'd never heard of esports, yeah. right? This is, you know, four years ago. This is like the Paleolithic age of, of you know, for for right. the traditional us, all, us, us yeah. older folks. Um, you know, it was this is before Overwatch at like Barclays for sure. It, it, several, yeah, several years before that. Um, if, if several years before Fortnite World Cup, um, it was it was a couple of years before the mm -hmm. seminal Drake Ninja moment. Um, and I thought, all right, let's go, let's go take a look at this. And I, I, you know, made some contacts, you know, that I had that were that were involved in the space. Um, and I ended up getting in, in, introduced eventually to uh, to Phase Clan. Um, and you know what what I 
what I've I've come to to, to and at that time it was it was a collection of gamers, but did it have the personalities? It did, yeah. Okay. We it, it definitely had the personalities. I mean, the personality started with the founders, right? There's yeah. there's four founders of Phase Clan, right? It's uh, it's Banks, Apex, Temper, and Rain, or or we consider the four founders, and there's some other early early guys in there as well. Um, but they those were those were the guys that built it, and those were immensely popular content creators. Um, mm-hmm. Because it started, you know, Phase Clan started in content and only later got into esports. Oh, um, it was sort of, you know, there were there was almost a challenge laid out by the community and said, you know, if you guys think you're so good, get into actual competition. Um, and we did, and we started winning, um, which only sort of grew the legend of of what Phase Clan. Uh, okay, so is. it started on the content side and then moved into That's the sort right. of competitive side. That's right. So explain the ambition here, because I mean, I think, I mean, I've read everything, well, from your perspective and the company's perspective, because, you know, you can compare it to like, quote unquote, traditional sports, like, okay, we're going to build the Dallas Cowboys. Then I've seen it, you know, you you guys compare it to like a Supreme or one of these kind of lifestyle brands. And it's almost sort of two halves. So what's the ambition that you see? Um, I, I actually, I, 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 think it's it's a there's a trio of things i think that that we are part traditional sports team um we are you know that's why i'll sometimes make the comparison to the lakers or to the cowboys Mm -hmm. um i think we are a uh a consumer brand um apparel brand we're currently apparel but we're going to grow out beyond that and 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 we we behave Oftentimes, like a hype beast brand, like a Supreme, we've certainly been compared to the kind of the, the Supreme of esports. Has been articles written about us, um, and if you look at some of the, some of both the manner in which we we do our our uh, apparel drops and the volume that we've done. I mean, we've we've had an individual drop where we've sold almost two million dollars worth of of clothes in in twenty four hours. What was that? I mean, what kind of stuff that you was? Uh, it was the second uh, champion collaboration drop that we did. Because okay, so you're doing collabs. You're... Yeah. Well, we we do both. We do okay. our we do straight Phase Clan apparel, and then we do collabs. We do, you know, we do collabs for brand building. We do it for, um, you know, for we think it's good revenue opportunity and good brand building, um, and it's and and it also to position ourselves as a, as an apparel brand as well. Mm-hmm. So, so face you know, client branded merch, we do more fa- than merch, but well, we haven't gone past merch at okay. this point or apparel really. Um, but we're, we will be entering that for sure in 2020. So it sounds like it's, it's, it's part media company, part DTC company in some well, ways. And, th- and that's sort of the, the third part is I, I often compare it to MTV, um, for, for a couple of reasons. One is we, you know, like I mentioned before, we reach enough enough people that we are tantamount to a, a cable network, right? We have that much of of a, of a monthly viewership on um, YouTube, Twitch, on, on across YouTube, Twitch, Mixer, Snapchat, okay. Instagram. Like those are those are our so platforms. So it's not a YouTube. I mean, you're not an MCN. No, no, not not <laughs> no, at all. Nobody, and, nobody wants to be an MCN. <laughs> but I mean, we're, we might be YouTube. We might dominate a lot on YouTube, but we also do a lot of other things. But the reason, the other reason why I compare it to MTV is because we really are the voice of this community. We 
we have set the tone and we've created content that the community overall really enjoys and we understand what this community is. The same way in which MTV spoke for that generation and music might have been at its core or might have been its origin, but at some point, the majority of content that they made had nothing to do with music, even though they were, it was on MTV, yeah. because what they had was they had a relationship with the audience and they understood what that audience wanted and they created content for that audience. And that's what I see that we do. We, it's, sometimes it's gaming content, sometimes it's things that abut gaming. And what, what I, I'm certainly very focused on from the content side is how do we go even further than that? I think we can do other forms of content, longer forms of content, but still thinking about how do we make that content for this audience? And I think that's the real opportunity. I look, I know I'm, I'm a traditional entertainment guy, right? That's my history. Spent 20 years in traditional entertainment. And from speaking to other players in, in the traditional space, most of them don't understand how to speak to this audience, which is why there's so much attrition happening. The, the audience, they're losing audience to YouTube, right? Because you've got content creators that are creating content for this audience. They're they're a fabric of that audience. What, what I'm looking to do in this sort of next step and why I think MTV in its in our fully flesh form is is do more and do other types of content. I think we're going to have phase clan films we'll have phase clan episodic we're going to be doing a lot more content in a lot more places okay so far beyond youtube and twitch and mixer and, and the rest and we'll, of this. and we'll never walk away from that right. youtube is our bread and butter youtube is is sort of at that at right at that that closest intersection mm-hmm. with the audience they subscribe to our channel specifically um but we can take that and grow that and, and open ourselves up to more traditional forms of entertainment, but for this audience, um, you know, which, which I think traditional Hollywood sorely needs. So what does the revenue portfolio look like now? And then we can talk about what it looks like in the future. Sure. Um, so there's, there's four areas of revenue now. There's a fifth one that we haven't turned on yet. Um, and the four areas, are, there's esports revenue. There's sponsorship and brand deals is the second. There's, you know, there's the merch and apparel is the, is the third. Um, and the fourth is the content and publishing. Um, and the, the fifth one that we haven't started yet is, is touring and events. Uh, okay. But we're going to, we'll, coming in 2020, that we're going to turn that revenue stream. And on. the largest is what? The esports? They're, they're actually in the ballpark of, hip, you know, quarter, 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 quarter. Like, you know, okay. that, that's in the ballpark. What I think the future holds, I think that the uh, I, I would I would I would guess that fifty percent of our revenue will be content. Um, I think that'll be the biggest uh, piece of the pie. I think the two uh, the two. When you re- say content, do you mean like ad supported content? I mean or? content. Period. Doesn't I? I mean content that is consumed by the audience wherever it lives. Mm-hmm. Again, the list that exists, right? That all you know. Not to reiterate that that yeah. you know the list of platforms exist, but. Will be on Netflix or Hulu okay. or Disney Plus or all of the above. 
Um, because they all want this this audience, younger audience. That's that's it. Hard we, to reach. Th- there is no place that you can go that has more uh, more connection to young males than something that we do. Um, you know, a, a, as far as one singular brand. You know, when you know w- w- we've got we talked about it earlier over two hundred million um, in combined social audience. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of, that's a big fan base and it's an engaged fan base. That's another thing about this audience. This audience is present, it's engaged, they transact, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they care. So give an example of working with a marketer in order to reach, obviously they want to reach this audience, they've heard a lot about, you know, gaming and they're like, okay, I get it, I, I, buy, I buy the story about this culture and stuff yep. like this, but I, you know, these people are, you are, Maybe they're not like receptive to commercial messages um, at, in in that form. Like, how do you? Uh, so, I, 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 what I would say is they are receptive to commercial messages when they're when they're delivered to them in the way they they prefer. So, what they don't like is advertising, right? Advertising is becoming passe in in a lot of ways. So. It's, it's sort of forced brands to become more creative on how they deliver the, the ad message. And what, what we've found is that fans are actually quite receptive to brand messages, but you've got to respect the audience in, in how you present it. And so what we do with partners like Nissan or G Fuel, we make branded content that respects the audience, that... Mm-hmm. We deliver a brand message in a creative way with the goal being that the content stands on its own, that, that the fact that it delivers a brand message is almost incidental from the fan experience. And that's it, right? Mm-hmm. We, so, we, so give me an example. So we came up with a, a, a video. It's really like a short film called Hot Sizz. It starred one of our guys' face scissors. Um, and it was for G Fuel. And it was a really clever, uh, entertaining piece about, you know, him getting energy via drinking G Fuel. But it was done in a, in a funny way, in an entertaining way, where the brand message wasn't heavy-handed. The brand was, was you know, Scissors was the hero, but the brand was the hero of that piece. But that that's a piece that fans will consume because they love the content. And then the message, they're, they're, they're not against the brand message. They just don't want to be either force-fed the brand message or they're not looking for banner ads or just the old yeah. way of of advertising to a community. They're over mm-hmm. it. They literally are over it. But it doesn't mean that they don't want sort of intelligent brand messaging um, delivered to them. In many ways, I sometimes draw an analogy to like the NASCAR audience, right? Where the NASCAR audience, if you support NASCAR, that NASCAR audience supports your brand. And this is is very much the same way. If you respect this audience, partially, I, I think partially because they've been an underappreciated audience for so long, mm-hmm. that when you do something that that really respects their culture, respects the way that they want to be communicated to, they show up and they really reward, they really reward you. 
Um, so that's what we're seeing when, with some of our, with some of our brand partnerships. Yeah. Uh, final thing is, tell me about the house. Yeah, I read about it in the the New York Times at a at a very a deep piece um, on this. Um, you got a house. You're like Justin Bieber's neighbor in Calabasas. Yeah, yeah. We've we've got two houses. We've got two houses two. loaded with uh, with gamers, and uh, it's where they shoot a lot of their content. We throw parties there. Um, you know, our our talent lives there. They collaborate together, um, and it's become sort of this mythological place. And what was the idea there? Is it was it? It, it it's really these kids came up with it themselves okay. with the first house in New York, right? That first house, that was really the first kind of you know now YouTubers that get live in a house together is fairly common, or or let's say right. not uncommon. But when they did it, it didn't exist. And this is a lot of what these these kids that built FaZe Clan, they they were the first ones to point the camera at themselves and put themselves in the vlog. They they created this this thing, which is where a lot of the energy in the in the brand comes from, the authenticity and why we have such an immense fan base compared to really everyone. Like we we honestly we don't even have competitors. We're so much bigger than than uh, than you know other other esports orgs as far as kind of our our social reach, but. That's it. All we did is we upgraded. We gave them an upgrade. Now, instead of a modest house in, uh, I think they were in White Plains, um, in New York, they live in a monster mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Okay, this sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're creating, like, how much content are we talking about uh, that they're creating, like, on a week? It, it depends on the individual yeah. content creator. Um, the guys that are grinding, right, in the, in the vernacular, you call it grinding, yeah. um, they're putting up videos every week. Uh, but it's hard. They've got to come up with the ideas. They've got to shoot it. They've got to keep it fresh. They've got to, it's a lot of pressure for, yeah. for these kids. So how do you, talk about recruitment and then, you know, retention. I assume you, you get people under long-term contract? Not really. Not, you know, it's, um, what's interesting about FaZe Clan is, you know, when you join FaZe Clan, you put the word FaZe in your name. Yeah, that's and, interesting and, part of it. And it's, and they want to do it. You know, this is not, we don't run, this is not the WWE where we own the name, where we own their name. Yeah, we own the word phase. And if you leave, you can't take it with you, but you take your own name with you. Um, but they want to be there. We don't have people that leave. Very rare. I mean, it's happened. Of course, it's happened, you know, notably. But in general, we have, we have people that just stay because it's become their identity. They are part of FaZe Clan. They are, there's this thing that we call FaZe for Life. And it's a real thing. It's this concept when sometimes we'll talk about, oh, are they unhappy or somebody? And, and if the response is, no, no, man, he's FaZe for Life. That is, that's sort of the saying of, that guy's never, he is so in, he's so into the brand. He loves what FaZe Clan represent because we are truly unique in the space. Mm -hmm. um, that so you have to add really more to them that they could, um, you know, get somewhere else or in independently. I mean, there's only that's, a few. Yeah, there's typically the other option is going independent. It's not joining another org. We're not, we're not worried about somebody want to leave and they want to go to another org. Um, it's more, if they want to leave, they want to be on their own. They want to try something on their own. Mm -hmm. But in general, you know, most people don't, don't even conceive of leaving. And it's not because of the contracts. You know, we're not, you know, even if we've had contracts, we don't, we don't even enforce a lot of the things that are, that are in our, in our contracts. Um, because even the contracts themselves, 
look, we're, we're learning in real time what the contract should be, what the player you know, relationship should be, what we as a brand should be doing. It's all new. There's not, there hasn't been a company quite like this. So mm-hmm. we're kind of, we're, you know, we're building the plane while we're flying the plane. How about finding them? Like what's... So it's like virtually every other part of the brand it's an organic. It's been an organic process. It, w- what I'm trying to do is take all of the things that have historically been organic and to put some more process to it. So, like recruitment, we don't have anybody that's in charge of recruitment. It's sort of everybody is always on the lookout. People play with each other. People see people online, and if somebody remembers to think about it, put they you know it'll be on a chat. If you look at my phone, I've got. You know, there's like a, a, a handful of chats that are 12 people where we're all, you know, share ideas or, or talk about different things. And it's usually the, the gamers themselves that will find other players and suggest it. Mm-hmm. But I want to evolve from that. And w- I recently talked about having, some, you know, a, somebody in charge of recruitment. You know, we, we need a lot of that. That's how, that's how much room there is to grow. I mean, I don't have a head of marketing. Yeah. I, that's how, that's, we don't do any marketing. You know, we should, and we an will. An interesting HR challenge, the Face Clan HR department. Um, I don't have a head of uh, HR either, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, everyone living <laughs> but, in a house. Yeah. It's oh, very no. fraught. Yeah. Let's talk about diversity a little bit. Sure. Because, um, you know, gaming is very male, still very yes. male-oriented. I mean, the Face Clan is, is, from what I can tell, extremely yep. male-oriented. Yes. Um, uh, there's certainly underrepresented groups. Is that just, I mean, gaming itself, I believe, is, is a lot more diverse. Yeah, well, I think... You know, gaming is broad. You yeah. know, there are, you know... My mother you, plays Spider I, Solitaire. I was about to say, if she plays Candy community. Crush, she's a gamer, right? So, you know, if you talk about professional, you know, to professional gaming, professional esports, I think it's a little bit different than if you talk about gaming overall because so many people are gamers. If you if you look at, again, all the Farmville and the Candy Crush, <laughs> it, you know, it's almost everybody's a gamer. Yeah. Um, but... but but we need to work on it. I mean, that's it. We, you know, we signed our first female gamer with 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 Phase Ewok. Couldn't be more excited about about her. We, you know, we announced that, um, you know, during the Fortnite World Cup weekend, um, and you know, she actually is really interested in being a role model to bring other females mm-hmm. into in you know into the fold. And I think that's what we, you know, we gotta we, we have to build it once one step at a time. And and you know, but for sure, we need more females. Yeah. We need more. Does diversity. gaming have a bit of a bro culture? So I think that it does. I think that because it started with you know young males, yeah. I think that that's been part of it. We've been slagged for for being a little bit of bro culture because look, we're you know we're the cool kids of gaming, right? That's what fate. We're you know depending on who we are, the cool kids or we're the bad boys or we're mm-hmm. the dog town of gaming. Um, so we're invariably going to be going to be slagged with some of that, especially when it's so male dominated. But that's not you know to me that's not a a, a core part of the brand um, certainly a move like signing ewok hopefully shows people that that we're you know we're we're broader than that and uh, and we we you know we we certainly care about about widening the pool of 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 gamers that that are part of phase clan okay lee thanks so much my pleasure. Good. Come good back to talk on. To you, right? We'll talk about programmatic advertising. Oh okay. yeah. <laughs> I don't want you know. I'll, uh, my my sales guys will get mad at me. I start slagging that. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right. Thanks a lot. 
And thank you all for listening. As always, I want you to subscribe to Digiday Plus. If you go to digiday.com slash subscribe, you can sign up there. This gives you unlimited access to all of our content, exclusive research, and much, much more. You will be getting a 20% discount if you use podcast at checkout. That is podcast at checkout. Also, remember to rate and review this podcast at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps it be discovered, supposedly. And thank you to Pierre Bianame, who is our producer.